Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. This week, I'm joined with Deputy Editor Nathan Ingram. Hey, Nate, how's it going? Good morning, Dev. Things are pretty good over here. As you know, it's been things are very busy week. Pretty good, pretty busy. Yeah, this is a busy week also for you, Nate, because uh, Nate has spent the past couple weeks reviewing The Legend of Zelda uh, Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. So we'll be talking about that. But also, we all just survived Google I.O., and there's been a ton of news out of that, including the Pixel Fold. Um, so that's why Sherlyn's not here for this episode. She's still out there, um, you know, mopping up some meetings and stuff. Uh, but we'll chat about all the news from Google I.O. As always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. Drop us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. You can also join us Thursday mornings, typically around 1030 a.m. Eastern. On our YouTube channel, we'll do live streams there. Uh, we often do Q&A. Sometimes we show off gadgets. Nothing to show this week, but, you know, tune in for the future. It's a fun time. Let's dive into the biggest news of the week, Nate. And honestly, it's probably Zelda, but uh, everyone's <laughs> been hyping up the Pixel Fold and all the Google stuff. So let's clear out all that. The Pixel Fold is here. The long-rumored Google Foldable, the company's first foldable, is here. It's going to start at $17.99. Uh, it's available for pre-order. Um Shipping sometime next month. The vagueness of that is really unusual to me. But yeah, it looks like a Galaxy Z Fold 4, but more googly, maybe a little more refined. I think the hinge looks uh, smoother. It's also like more outwardly projected. There's less of a crease on the inside of the display, although there is some there too. So Foldable from Google. Nate, um, I like to bring you on for Google stuff, Nate, because you're our resident Chromebook fan. <laughs> so I, I have to figure you're the biggest Google fan we know. Uh, also, Sherlin's a pretty big Google yeah. fan. But what do you what do you think of this thing? First, I'll off? say first off, it's interesting because I am a big Google fan, generally speaking, mm -hmm. but I actually don't own or use any of their hardware. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I don't I'm an iPhone guy. Uh, I'm an iPad guy. Uh, okay, but I still like I like to see like what else they're up to and see what the competition is doing. Uh, I think we're going to differ on this because I think you are more into the idea of a foldable than I am. I, I mean, and I've been on the show. I've been, been really saying they're they're not there yet either, okay. but I'm more intrigued by this one. But go it, ahead. this one feels a little more polished to me than the Samsung mm -hmm. ones, I'd say. I think 
this is a reasonable time to get into the race, right? Samsung, as usual, was like, we're going to push this thing way before it was ready, right? I mean, four years ago, uh, it's coming around now. I think the price is still insanely prohibitive to a normal person i just can't imagine who's gonna buy this thing uh except for like the real hardcore you know we did used to think that about smartphones in general right like when will they get over a thousand dollars and i feel like apple pushed it first with like some of the pro models like once they crept past 9.99 for a base level price it's kind of once we started getting 1200 yeah it's all you're just creeping upwards uh we had 1200 dollar phones i i forget i got an iphone 13 pro I think costs quite a bit, um, you know, so I feel like people are used to that. But yeah, yeah, seventeen ninety nine. I think I mean, obviously, we have to talk about Man. the price, but like, let's talk about the device first um, and yeah. like put that in context, because I think that's really important. It does look more refined to me. I like the looks of the front screen. Like they did a good job of making that take up as much of the front as possible to like give you that like normal phone experience when it's not open. Right. Like I think that first of all, 5.8 inch external display, it's OLED, both, both the internal and external displays are OLED. Yeah. And I think that's important uh, to get that right because the first Samsung foldable did not, and it was terrible. Uh, This one, however, looks, looks pretty nice. I mean, like I'm intrigued by this. I think as usual, it all comes down to like software that can take advantage of the larger screen. It looks like they're doing some interesting stuff in that regard too. So like it's got some potential, but um, I don't know. I just don't necessarily feel like the trade-offs in terms of like heaviness and thickness and possibly some compromises on the like camera hardware, for example, are worth the trade-off yet. I've never used one as like a daily driver. I kind of want to, so I can see like, okay, how often do I find myself flipping this thing open? How valuable is that to me? Yeah. Is it worth a trade off? This is the phone that makes me want to test foldables more, to be honest. Like that that is where I'm coming down. But, you know, Sam Rutherford from Engadget, who did the hands-on for us at IO, he is a big foldable fan. He's had a Galaxy, you know, Z Fold for years, actually, several generations of it. He, you know, he is totally okay with the flaws. Like he, he loves like that flexibility. I have to say, Nate, like this is a really interesting foldable for a few reasons. Um, On the show, I've talked about like the kind of annoying factor of a foldable where to really use your phone, you kind of have to you have to pull it out of your pocket. You have to open it up. Then you can start phoning around. Um, Now you have a pretty decently sized screen on the outside. Certainly the Z, the Galaxy Z Fold 4 um, has one, but smaller and it's less like functional. That one's like, okay, you can see your notifications and that's that's kind of it. Um, Do some basic phone work. This is like it's a pretty decently sized screen. Like you could do a lot of good work if you just need to pop your phone out of your pocket. Then when you need to expand, you open up the display. Uh, Google showed off these software features where like if you are playing a YouTube video on the front screen, when you open it up, that continues into the big screen. So there's like a seamlessness to the experience that I really like. Um, This hinge seems really nice. It just seems a little stronger than Samsung's. Um, there, There are just a whole bunch of things. You're talking about thickness, Nate. Um, it is thick when it's closed. It's 12.1 millimeters thick, which is pretty hefty compared to like even a pro iPhone or something. And it weighs, um, 10 ounces, I believe. So it's even a little bit heavier than the Z fold, but when you open it up, these are two six millimeter pieces, like slabs. So it's actually pretty thin as a device once it's opened up and, I'm some, you know, I've been considering like getting an iPad mini or something at some point or just another companion iPad for around the house. And I am starting to see the point of this. I don't like the price. I don't like um, I don't like so many things. I don't know about the durability of this. Um, The outer screen is still a Gorilla Glass Victus screen, I believe. But the inside display 
has like a thin, it has a plastic covering because they all need to, so they can actually bend. Um, the both screens are OLED and 120 hertz, so they're going to be nice and smooth, and they support OLED uh, or they support HDR, so they're going to be really bright too. Um, you did bring up the camera thing because this is technically a very thin device, um, even though it feels thick when it's folded. They had to like step back a bit from the camera sensor, so this is the way you could think about this phone. It's basically a foldable Pixel Seven Pro. And it costs a lot more than Pixel 7 Pro, but it runs the same basic hardware. It still has the uh, Tensor G2 tip from last year, which another contentious thing, to be honest. Um, it has 12 gigabytes of RAM, um, the same basic camera setup, but also slightly less impressive cameras. Um, it has a 9.5 megapixel external camera. That's the one on the very front, an 8 megapixel internal camera. That's the one that shows up when you open up the thing. Um, on the back, there's a 48 megapixel main camera, 10.8 megapixel ultra wide, and a 10.8 megapixel telephoto with 5x zoom. All of those specs are just a little better on the 7 Pro. Um, although it's like the same basic, same still has an ultra wide, uh, still has a telephoto lens. But you are getting a worse camera for a much more expensive phone for the hardware you basically had last year too. So this is a weird distance, I think. What do you think about that, Nate? Yeah, I mean, that is a really good point. Uh because right, the, all this hardware was was pretty cutting edge seven months ago or eight months ago when the Pixel Seven came out. Now it's a little bit less so. Losing the camera or you know giving up some of the camera for me like that's a big thing. Is I think that a good camera is still like among the most important things that I look for on a phone. And so it would be hard for me to say yeah, let's spend eighteen hundred bucks on something where I'm going to get a less a lower quality experience. This still looks like a good camera, to be yeah. honest. And the just to be clear, the Galaxy Z Fold Four has much worse cameras mm. than the comparable like big Galaxy series. So Google did do like some some innovation here, yeah, on the camera side. Yeah, I mean, I really want to look. I want, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the samples that we get from the. Re I mean, the review will come soonish, I'm sure, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. For, um, but yeah, your point about the. Um, Using this instead of an iPad makes a lot of sense, right? Like having this one yep. device that can give you a bigger screen experience is great. Um, the proportions of it, you know, the the inside screen ratio I'm looking at, it, I'm like, is that going to be ideal for videos? It looks like it's a little wider than... It's a little square. Yeah, it's a little square, so it's but it's less square videos. than the Samsung. So mm. I think that it'll be a little better for video. Uh, you mentioned HDR, which is why I was thinking about that. Um yeah, and also they're they're showing a lot of footage of like you turning the thing sideways when it's opened up, and you're kind of having you have the video on the top half, and it looks like a mini laptop, and video controls on the bottom. That may actually be better in in many cases, even though you're not taking full advantage of the screen. Um, yeah, it's still pretty big. I, I yeah. just have to say, it's still pretty big. I'm intrigued. I think that's the main thing here. This <laughs> the main takeaway is that Davinjara is yeah. intrigued. <laughs> I am intrigued. Uh, I mean that's. I feel like that's the main thing, right? Because these are expensive phones are not for everybody, but it's really, really fascinating to see like how far Google has certainly come. Cause I don't, their phones have been fine. The pixel phones, I think since the pixel six, they've come up with like, they've got a, a formula. very basic, nice formula, good camera. We got AI, we got all sorts of stuff. Uh, not really flashy designs they are all like very, very subtle, very, very like mainstream stuff. Let Samsung be flashy. I feel like that's what Google's been doing. And now this one's like, well, we want to have fun too, and we want to have fun in a different way. Uh, what will it take for you to to get a foldable name? I feel like if you're on iOS, we're all waiting for Apple to do something, right? Yeah, and I think that obviously, like you said, it eventually will happen. 
if I had to guess, I'd say another two years, maybe, maybe not like this fall, maybe sure. the fall after that. Uh, I think I think the rumors are we're expecting not this year's iPhone, but the next right. one could be a major so revision. Like so end of twenty twenty four or something like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say give it a couple of years because, uh, folks, sure, I'm sure Apple is prototyping the hell out of foldables and like trying different hinges, trying different designs. I do feel like this basic setup is kind of the thing I would like to see from Apple. Give me a nice big outside screen. Give me a nice screen inside. Make sure those hinges are good and get the cameras good. Like I, I as a parent, I want an all-in-one device. I want something that can get me the good cameras that could be durable for when my kids are like messing with the phones. But also when I have like five minutes to breathe, I could just open it up and like do big screen stuff. Yeah. That would be really nice. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking that, uh, having like the iPad OS or like some, some experience similar to that on the larger in, internal display could be really good. Right. Um, just like software that takes better advantage of the larger screen. We'll have to see if they do that or just keep it like, you know, I iPhone OS and just like have it be super basic. But um, I'm, I'm also really interested in, yeah, when you mentioned the hinge, like that's the thing I think of as like Apple, when they do industrial design, right. They really can, can, do it well. And so I'd like to see what they do with that. Um, that'll be great. Hopefully. I feel like we're, we're all, we're all kind of waiting to see like the big, the big focus now is on Apple's era glasses. And it almost feels like the industry is by like, we really don't know when AR or is going to be a mainstream thing. I feel like the thing people really want to know about is like a foldable or the next stage of mobile stuff for Apple. And, uh, you know what, Nate, um, I don't, I, I'm sure it'll come soon. Apple, I feel like, is in a better position. The other funny thing during uh, I.O. is that Google's like, um, uh, they're, when they're talking about the Pixel Tab, uh, the Pixel Tablet, too, they almost sort of like put down Android tablets to begin with, too. They're like, oh, yeah, you may have a tablet, but it's probably in a drawer somewhere and lost its charge. That's because it's running Android. Yes. It's because you guys freaking ignored big screens for years, you idiots. Don't. Make fun of the tablets now. I know. That um, was a really it, weird choice because I'm like, that was really weird. That is not what the yeah. people who use, that's not the iPad experience in my history. I have one that I use almost every day. Uh, it runs at a, well, that's because you have an iPad. Yeah. Right. It runs at a heart. It runs at a battery sometimes. I've definitely had, I just reviewed an Android tablet and it was highly uninspiring. I did not have any need or desire to use it. Um, I think that. I mean, if we're pivoting to Pixel Tab, I'll get into it more uh, soon. Yeah. Well, it's just funny that they brought that up because, like, I think Google is finally paying attention to the big screen. We talked about Android L being the sort of like what is, that's the big. But screen. But they've been talking about that for two years, out. I think. Yeah. Which is just for two crazy years. It. A lot of the stuff I'm also looking at being like, well, that's nice. It's nice that you finally got there. Um, it, it's funny it took you so long, Google. Like I, I and I also can't trust like when they make big de- design leaps or anything. But anyway. That's the Pixel Fold. It is $17.99. It is Google's first foldable. We're going to have a review up soon, of course. But you know what? Let us know what you think, folks. Uh, podcast and gadget.com. Do you want a foldable? What will it take for you to get a foldable? Um, people have been asking me about when will these things get affordable? And my God, I don't know. Five years? Like for to have something under $1,000 that folds in this way? Because right now you could get a Z Flip or something like that. that but you folds don't get the larger sort of like, screen. So You don't get the larger screen, but you do get like a less intrusive device so maybe for some people that would be a thing to play with um i like new designs so you know we'll keep an eye on all this stuff let's move on to the rest of google io and there were a bunch of devices there but the first thing i want to talk about 
it took Google like nearly two hours to get to its devices. And at IO, what they wanted to do was basically present, hey, we're not behind on AI. Look at how AI is integrated in all of our products. Um, they announced the Palm 2 lang- a large language model, um, which is a big deal for them. This thing is going to be powering BARD in the future and pretty much all their products. It is faster, it's more efficient, and they said it can even run locally on mobile devices. So if, if you know, when they put this into phones, you don't have to wait for a ping to a server to answer your questions. Like, it should be able to do some stuff. Um, it's very interesting. Andrew Tarantola wrote this up for us. This is going to underpin everything Google's working on. Um, on its own, not much to say, but we did see um, like the future of what Google search could be. They showed off their search generative experience and uh, Sherlin took a look at that. It looks really cool. Basically, when you do a Google search, you get generative AI responses at the top, sort of like um, they look a little flashier than Bard's responses, but maybe more like Bing AI. Did you look at this, Nate? Like, what do you what do you think about Google like integrating AI into the search experience? Yeah, I think that the two things that were most important about AI, like obviously, um, you know, the Palm Two stuff is important for the background, but it's not something that a consumer is going to get. But the way that they're going to use that in search and then also in work work workspace stuff, like Gmail, Docs, Slides, etc., those are kind of the two things where I think normal humans are going to run into it the most, right? And this generative search stuff is interesting. Because it does feel like an advance on what they've been doing already with the knowledge graph and like showing you stuff in search besides just like a link of a list of websites. Uh, Do you find that stuff useful though? Like sometimes. none of the knowledge graph stuff has like ever really worked. Really, out that's right. interesting. Sometimes, I feel yeah. like if you're like yeah. just looking for a quick answer to something, it can be useful. But if you want to do like deeper research, yeah, you have to go into links or or deeper. Um, and I think that one of the things about the search generative experience is that uh, we were talking about this on our Slack yesterday. This is 100% reliant on content from other places. Yep. So the, the entire internet. Right. Yeah. So you have to wonder how other websites are going to feel about someone doing a Google search and the page being taken up by generative AI results that are pulling from your websites, but not actually linking to them. Like, it's easy to imagine, you know, someone searching for, tell me about the, like, Pixel Fold, and it gives you this whole spiel, and it's pulling from, like, our review and reviews from other sites, and they never click on our site and read our reviews, Yeah, for example. This is, like, the worst, the worst, like, basically what we were all worried about when we started seeing the knowledge graph stuff, because for so long, the Google search was, like, a very pristine experience, right? You had the search bar, you had clean results at the bottom, and then I think... Maybe toward the end of the 2000s, it started to get filled with stuff, right? Yep. They got into shopping. They got into all sorts of things. They had to integrate all their different services into search um, while still keeping search kind of fast. Um, my main thing is that, yeah, I feel like Google will seriously need to rethink how this works. And Google has basically built an empire on ads and making ads, um, powering ads around the internet, powering ads on websites and stuff. If Google's pulling content from pages, and people are like, that's enough. I don't need to click anymore. I do feel like they need to start setting up something where like, okay, you're getting a share of like whatever ad is showing on that Google search page at that moment. You know, like they have to rework that somehow. Um, otherwise, like I'm looking at the state of media and being like, nothing will survive. <laughs> nothing will survive this. And also, we don't know if these things it pulls up are actually good or actually the good things. Like at this point, the generative AI answers are, are decent but they have a lot of problems and there's even a warning at the bottom, like uh, for the love of God, uh, don't, you know, don't, don't, 
the, these aren't like actual professional results. Yeah, I'm looking at our at our article yeah. screenshot at the top at the very top of the generative AI answer. It says generative generative AI is experimental. But what does that mean to a normal person who doesn't follow this stuff? Right. Like if you're like not somebody who's listening to the Engadget podcast or reading our site or other sites like us, you're not going to know what that means. You're just going to say, "Okay, here's some information. Is this right or useful? And then there's also the thought of like sites starting to game this. Like obviously there's a thing in the world called search engine optimization. There's going to be like generative AI optimization where sites try to make their content rank in the AI answers. Right. And it's easy to imagine like it's not going to be necessarily about what's most accurate. There could be, like, we see in social media, the stuff that pops off is, like, the hot takes, the, like, incorrect takes, that sort of thing. I'm just imagining people trying to game this AI in a way that is dishonest, which is scary. Um, yeah. That's the power of SEO gaming. Like, that was a whole thing. I remember, like, once I started writing for online sites, like, that was what everybody was doing. Like, everybody was trying to optimize for Dig and for Reddit mm-hmm. and to get your Google searches and to follow, like, whatever is trending on Google News. That's still kind of happening. Well, now you sites, think about, so, like, yeah. if you search for, like, a, like a show that's hot right now, right? You'll, you'll get these, like, weird news sites, air quotes, that, like, will say, like, oh, like, here's everything we know about The Last of Us Season 2. And it's like, we don't yeah. know anything, but here's 800 words about Season 1, and then there'll be like one quote from somebody who's like, well, we're going to maybe start it in the fall. And like, that's the whole thing. But yeah, that's weird SEO, you know, digging. Uh, and you could see the same thing happening for AI digging. Um, I will say I'm looking at, again, this screenshot. And there are a few links in the in the generative AI section to other sources, which I'm like, OK, it's good. That there's a few things right there up top. But um, yeah, none of us know how it is uh getting this information what what is like we understand to some degree it's still a bit of a black box but like again search engine optimization is a well-researched topic at this point uh what what's the generative stuff is pulling from how does it know what's a reliable source we don't know yet i see people in the chat saying like um buddy 30511 in the chat says if you don't know what generative ai is experimental means then you shouldn't be using it sure yeah that's the experimental part this stuff is going to be integrated in the full thing right soon right so you're like, just going to do a search what, and it's going to show up and you're, just gonna, you're not going to know. And that's yeah. just general consumers and they're going to see this new thing and they may not know exactly like, should I trust this or not? Like there's a lot of stuff uh, we just don't fully know. So that is, that's my main concern. You know what I was um, going to say, Devinder, is yeah. that um, mm-hmm. you say you, you may not know if it's reliable or not. The thing is like people who've been using Google search for years are going to think it's reliable because they're used to yes. using it. So they're just going to assume it's a new way of presenting information and that it's just as reliable as the stuff they were getting before it launched. My worry is getting it right at the top of the searches too. Like I do feel like maybe a sidebar may be better to sit alongside the the actual links. Um, we're basically seeing the future of the web being reshaped right now, folks, around AI. And there's a lot of uncertainty. We just don't know. But uh, I, I have reasons for concern because I do feel like Google and Microsoft and everybody are just barreling into this. And everyone's like, hey, wait, have you thought about this and this and this? Have you thought about like what this means for media? Have you thought about like what this means for verifiable facts online, which is already a big problem? No, you know, just kind of doing this it. just popped yeah. in my head. and I haven't thought about this phrase in a while, but it feels like a bit of a return to the like move fast and break stuff mentality of the 2000s that you heard from like Facebook and to some degree Google in terms of just like we're just going to build this stuff and put it out there and like figure out what the problems are later. And, you know, that's something that's a choice you can that's make kind of what's 
I do feel like um, we don't expect Microsoft to be the company to take those sorts of risks, but they did do that with ChatGP, with Bing AI Chat, and with all of its investments in OpenAI. And yeah, I think they just put their foot on the accelerator and was like, well, hey, let's do this. Let's see what happens here. And that forced Google to announce BARD really haphazardly. Like Google was not ready for this. The entire industry, it seems, wasn't ready for this. So we are only what, three months, four months uh, past the time like Microsoft announced being AI chat. I think we could like, use just, just cap it at like say 2023, like right, like this is the year when this stuff is going. I know exactly when it happened, Nate, we because I was I took my rare two weeks of vacation and I right. couldn't be there because Microsoft told us a couple a couple days before the event to come to their campus for this thing. Um, you know, as a weird aside, like there was a new story yesterday about Microsoft putting money into Sam Altman's um was it fusion generation power mm. like cold fusion yeah, yeah. power which that's a, that's a whole other thing but go look up that news folks like by 2028 uh, they expect to be making power and microsoft is like ready to take advantage of that so it is funny to see them just taking these big risks these days uh for things that we used to think were impossible things like functional ai and this is not really ai this is more chat prediction but you know, Microsoft is taking big steps here, and I don't think they fully thought a lot of this through. But speaking of not fully thinking things through, Google also showed us uh, Google Photos with generative right. let's get uh, AI Let's get into editing. how this is going to come into consumer products. This is a big one. Uh-huh. Uh, so it looks like um, basically you're getting a lot more touch-up tools, but the one that really amazed a lot of people was... Uh, if you go look at our article about this, there's a child uh, sitting on a bench with balloons... And there's a cityscape behind him. And the photo is not centered, right? So the first thing Google showed off is the ability to just, like, um, hold down and uh, select, like, specific objects and move them around, make them larger. That is similar to something Apple's already offering, like, within – I forget what they call it. Oh, right, where you can tap, like, on a human and pull them out of it. Yes. But you can just, like – that's just to, like, highlight them and, like, you could send, you know, remove the background. This is, like, actually, like, the generative AI fills in the blanks of, like, if you move – Yeah. Like, in this example, so, right, the balloons are now fully – balloons instead of being cut off they're the calling edge. this uh magic editor and what happens is um is when they want to center the kid in this image they basically just dragged the bench forward and things that didn't exist in the image before like the other parts of the balloon the other half of the bench the other part of the wall behind it is all just like estimated the sort of the way that like the uh i don't know what the magic wands work uh or the touch-up tools work in photoshop or something um except it's like it's a whole portion of the photo that didn't exist that is just like basically um, generatively created. There was another uh, example yeah. during the keynote where they showed somebody like standing in front of a waterfall and they were wearing like a, a bag over their shoulder and they're like, let's just get that strap out of here. And it just like went away and it filled in the coat uh, underneath it. And, and they were able to like resize that person. Yeah, they like moved, they moved the human so under, that their hand yeah. was more positioned under the waterfall. I hated this. I this was I mean this was viscerally upsetting to me because of the fact that uh someone again someone on our Slack said okay this gives somebody plausible denial not deniability for anything they are taking in a photo like let's say there's like a photo of you like breaking into a bank like oh like Google Magic Editor did that I wasn't actually there uh and I know that's like a bit of a stretch and like you can Photoshop. That, that's literally did you see the story about Elon Musk saying like um was it uh, comments he's made 
You know, was yes. like, oh, that could have been deepfake. Right. That could have been deepfake, Which he, even though we know it was you. Right, he said it in a public, like, interview setting in front of hundreds of people. But he's like, oh, maybe it was deepfaked. Yeah. So nothing is real anymore. And this certainly contributes to the uh, lack of certainty around reality at this point. I mean, you could do a lot of this stuff in, in Photoshop right, right now right. if you had the skills for it. What this does is basically make it like a one-touch thing. Yeah, it automates it for people for who, like, haven't learned how to do Photoshop. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the nature of reality is gone. I mean, you could argue, like, that's always the thing with the photos. Like, you're always editing. You're always, like, fine-tuning. I do think, like, this is fundamentally changing things. So, again, what does this mean for society? Yeah, we don't I mean, know. My response is, like, an old man response, I suppose. Because you're right. Like, obviously, we've been able to do this in Photoshop. But there just feels – I just don't like the idea of, like, people who, like – just like I'm going on taking pictures, and I'm just gonna like make them better arbitrarily. Like, what does better mean in this case? Oh, like the sky wasn't blue enough. Make it bluer. You know, like I don't know. It just feels you kinda... can already do that. Yeah. Um. Th- this is a lot of things. Uh. Also, in, in other Google AI news, uh, Bard is going off the wait list in 180 countries. I don't think Bard was ever really on a wait list. To be honest, like when they launched that thing. I signed up for the wait list in like two minutes later. <laughs> I was let into Bard. So I don't think there was as much demand as Google is pretending there I is. I hadn't bothered, but that's interesting. Um, I tried it this morning. I asked it some ridiculous questions that were inspired by somebody I saw on Twitter a couple months ago asking uh, Bing about their budget. And they were saying they had a $3,000 need for cheese. They had to spend $3,000 a month on cheese. And it was hurting their ability to pay their rent. And they had a good conversation with, with Bing about how to do that. Um, so I was asking Bard about what should I do if I only bring in $3,500 a month and want to spend it all on cheese. <laughs> and I didn't get any great responses, but it was kind of fun. But I don't, again, know what I would do with this on like a normal day-to-day basis. I, th- I think you guys spend some more time with it. And everybody, um, it is funny, like within months, within just a few months of this stuff existing, uh, so many people are putting in their like Twitter profiles. Oh, yeah, I'm a generative script uh, leader. I'm, I'm very good at scri- generating stuff. And like, this did not exist four months ago. And now You're it's not like an expert a, in it. Yeah, now it's a job. Oh, my God. And all the AI people, all the people, um, or all the people who are big into crypto are now switching into AI in their profiles. And it's just... Kill me. There's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, Also coming to Bard is Adobe Firefly image generation. Uh, That is sort of like, um, yeah, that's the thing where you can type in a bit of text and get an image out of it. Um, So that's similar to Dolly 2, et cetera, right? Rounding out the rest of the stuff from Google I.O., Google officially announced the Pixel 7a, which is their new... $500, $499, $500, a uh, mid-range phone. It runs the same chip as the <laughs> $1799 Pixel Fold. Again, that chip seems suspect. I don't know. Chew um, on that. Yeah, this, mm-hmm, chew on that for such an expensive phone. It has a Tensor G2, a 90 hertz display. It is, um, I believe, $50 more than the last uh, A series. Um, it's $100 less than the smaller Pixel 7. Um it seems like a nice mid-range phone. It seems like Sam really liked it uh, on the site. So I mean, I think that they've been really consistently awesome on the A series. Like, I would probably buy the larger. I'd probably buy the the regular Pixel Seven Pro if I was going to buy uh, a Pixel phone, and I would have bought it in the fall. But for people who like don't care about getting the latest and greatest, this is like most of the latest and greatest, and yeah. it's like a really like, good you don't price. need the Pixel Seven basically because this is close enough to the Pixel Seven and cheaper. Um, it just seems very nice. Like this is kind of what I want to see more from Google and Pixel phones in general. So that seems nice. Google also gave us more details about the Pixel Tablet, which they previewed. What was it last fall? 
um, sometime. Year, no, they met, they first mentioned it a year ago. A exactly. year ago? So, yep. Man. Oh yeah. And they said even they said at Iowa it was coming in 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it wasn't that impressive until they shoot off this feature where it has a stand that doubles as a feature as a speaker, and you can magnetically just slap it on that stand and basically turn it into a smart display. And yeah. to me, that's interesting. Not not like Same. yeah, a standalone tablet from Google, especially after they've been so bad with tablets for so long. Not interesting. Um, this thing though, I could be like, I could see getting one of these for my kitchen or some other area where it would be nice to have a display on hand that I could you know Chromecast to or you know uh, shout commands to, but also pop off and use as a as a tablet. So. That's cool. I think we all agree. Everybody was like really excited about this thing. Gadget. Probably the first Android tablet we were all like, huh, I'd probably get one of those. What do you think, Nate? I agree. Uh, I like tablets. I like messing around with different form factors like you do. And this one seems interesting because, you know, almost everybody who's doing a tablet at this point, whether it's the iPad or the OnePlus pad that I just reviewed or Samsung's Galaxy tabs, they all uh, make connectivity with a keyboard and uh, or stylus a really important part of the package. Uh, Google does not have a keyboard or stylus, though you can use a universal stylus with it. Um, so they're like not making this thing about productivity, which I think is smart given Android's limitations in that department. Let's just pretend uh, we instead, don't do that. Yeah, right. Instead, it's a like device for using around the home. You know, I could definitely see, like you said, having a stand in the kitchen. You slap it on there. You could have another one somewhere else in the house. You slap it there. The screen is much nicer than what you're going to get on the existing Nest uh, Hub devices, right? It's like a you know, 2560 by 1600 display, something like that. So really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Big high resolution. Uh, I want to hear the speaker dog. I'm curious to hear how, how it sounds. Uh, but my guess is that it's going to be good enough for most people. It's, it looks big. Like it's, uh, it is, you can judge a speaker by its size and it's basically the width of this tablet. And that's a good sign for at least better, better than like a, one of the small little like nest devices or a plain echo. Um, and the other thing is it's $500. I don't think, um, I don't think Google can ever be like, here's our iPad competitor and it's $400 because why, why in the hell would you ever invest in that? Like, because Android is not good for big screens. Really? If you want a big screen experience, you got more uh, tablet apps on the, on iPad OS and everything. It makes more sense to stick with Apple. But now I'm like, I, w- I was considering getting another iPad because, um, the one I have for my daughter right now getting kind of old the space is just not enough i want to upgrade one so i can bring her stuff on the road more easily and download things um now i'm kind of considering this i don't i don't know yeah, if it's worth like, it yeah as an entertainment device right like if you want to think about it, like, this is something for me to like couch browse watch videos when i'm traveling or away from the tv uh, again uses the smart uh smart hub around the house uh, you could pick up, like I said, second speaker dock. Uh, and they did some smart things with the software so that like when it's docked, uh, anybody can still access like home controls. So let's say you want to adjust your lights or thermostat or thing. You can do that without having to like sign in. Um, it also supports multiple users. So again, if it's sitting around the house and like you want to grab it or your wife wants to grab it or your kid wants to grab it, they can do so and not like have to like be inside of your apps. You can keep your information separate, which I think is really smart for a device that feels easy to share, right? Whereas yeah. Apple's consistently made it so the iPad is your device and no one else's. That's very weird. They really need to get like multi-user authentication and profiles and stuff going on iPad. Um, this thing looks like an iPad when it's off, when it's just like on its own. So that was, it is funny. It's the year 2023. 
Google has finally released an iPad. I see people joking and uh, well, talking about it in our chat. Brian Mitchell points out the Nexus 7 was the peak of Android tablets. I agree. I really like the yeah. Nexus 7, and I liked a lot of those Nexus devices, to be honest. But Google never quite knew what to do with the big screens, and it really wasn't until like the Galaxy Note and Samsung was like trying to experiment more with what you could do with Android that uh, you know that we saw more of that stuff. Um, this thing also runs the Tensor G2, which is kind of funny. Again, that's in the Pixel 7a. It's in the 1799 Pixel Fold. And it's also the chip it's from last year. It's everywhere, baby. It's everywhere. It's also the chip from last year, so I don't know how you feel about that, Nate. Like, it does feel For like... the tablet, yeah. it doesn't bother me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I haven't used it yet, but I assume that it's it's performant enough to, to do everything you need to and do for here. the 7A, it seems fine. Yeah. But, yeah, multitasking on the Fold. Well, the Fold has more RAM, so I guess that, that is kind of the thing. Um, yeah, this looks kind of cool. Um, yeah, I'd like to review it. I don't it. know who's doing it, but... Uh, I wouldn't mind doing it if if that happens. This is how we I think might, about things, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try and get my hands on one regardless and just put it through the paces. It seems cool. It does seem cool. I well, also feel like Apple needs to... It is the simplest thing in the world to just like, hey, here's a speaker dock for the iPad. Yeah, yeah. Just just do it. Like, just rip rip this off. Rip this do off. what they did here. Yeah. I mean, Apple has had like hi-fi products before, so just like, kind of bring it back. But what, what were you going to say before, Nate? Just that I was going to say that you, you must remember uh, years ago that I was using a Pixel C. I think even I, re- I bring on the podcast uh, that we were doing back in 2016, 17 to have my notes and stuff. And again, super not not ready for prime time. Can you remind uh, people what the Pixel C was? Yes, the Pixel C was an Android-based tablet that was like actually gorgeous, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really great hardware. Yeah. Uh, and it came with this cool like magnetic keyboard attachment that was also really pretty good to type on. Uh, Android was not at all up to par for what you wanted to do with it, but hardware wise, it was super cool. So I, I got one just to play around with it and, and eventually got rid of it because it wasn't good enough, but it was fun. And this like brings me back to that a little bit. So I like the idea of um, seeing what they can do with it. And I hope that somebody makes a decent keyboard for it because I wouldn't mind trying to do it for like light. I can't, you could just you know. do any any Bluetooth keyboard though, right? So yeah, but I want it to be all like one thing. All one thing. Just get a, just get an iPad. I don't know. I have several. Yeah. So it's kind of, again, it's, this isn't actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is solving no actual problems for me, but I want to try it anyway. I think a kitchen display is a big thing, and like a, a tote around the house kind of screen is always useful. One more thing I want to mention from IO, and there's a whole bunch of these, so go check that all out in Gadget. But Android 14, they showed off more stuff, specifically more customization on the home and lock screens. You could get generative AI pictures and images. You could get like weird, there's like this weird emoji thing. Somebody did like you get a lot of options. That's cool, I guess. Do we know anything else about Android 14? Not a whole lot in terms of like what it's bringing for like user facing noteworthy features. I mean, obviously, the home screen stuff is like a big like thing that people will interact with, uh, but it doesn't like fundamentally change Android. Right. So we'll have to see what is going on there. Um, they they talked about Android surprisingly minimally. <laughs> Very little. Like, yeah. It, yeah, it was not much of a big deal. It's uh, it's funny this, at this event. One feature I want to call out they they introduced cinematic wallpapers which uses on device neural networks to animate your favorite photos. That's kind of cool, I guess. That's kind of cool. Um, people on uh, on Engadget Slack we were like sharing around the, what we do with our home screens. And one thing I really like to do, iOS has this thing where it's just like, hey, featured photos. Just like let let me rotate in some featured photos. And I do, I do this thing where it highlights photos for me and also like gives you a blurred version for the actual home screen. So there's like a seamlessness to the design. That's cool. I like it. And also reminds me of like when my kids were younger and it's nice to see those things pop up. So yeah, 
I, I think Android 14 hopefully will have more of that too, in addition to just cinematic wallpapers. Um, I will say, yeah. as a guy who uses an iPhone, I really wish that I had a wallpaper app as good as the one on Android because they have so many nice options in there. And iPhone gives you like, here are like eight pictures. And, you know, obviously they've made it better with like the emoji stuff is fun. The featured photos swapping every day is cool. Um, I actually set that up yesterday after we were talking about that. It's cool because you can be like, oh, show like these specific people, right? So like it doesn't show in like random pictures of randos from a concert, but like Here's like your wife or your kids mm-hmm. or whatever, or your pets. Um, and you can say like, I want stuff from like the cityscape category and landscape. So it'll like smartly pull in good stuff there. But anyway. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you, Nate. Um, you know what, folks? Go, go to Engadget.com. Check out all of our Google I.O. Uh, coverage. Uh, Sherlin also did, what was it? The Starline, the the like holographic oh, yeah, thing. Yep, uh, Sherlin yep. did a hands-on with that, but we couldn't get photos because it's hard to take photos of holographs. But go read her I think right they might actually just stuff. not let you. I think it was not even an option. Yeah, actually. Well, yeah they, Google, well, they Google didn't, was like, they didn't no. Let her, but also, you right. can't physically do it. So check out all of our Google I.O. coverage and gadgets. Okay, Nate, should I buy Zelda? What? what this seems like a game. We've been waiting for it for a while. It is a game. Is it good? Yep. I hope. Yes. Yes, it's good, but I had a really, and I didn't get into this too much in the review, so I'm glad I can talk uh-huh. about it here, which is that, the you know, I knew going into it that I wouldn't finish the game before the review was up. Like, there's not enough time. It's like a 100-plus hour game if you want to do close to everything. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get as far as I can. And, and I how many? how much I, time do you have with it, Nate? I spent about 30, maybe 35 hours playing. But you had like several oh, weeks. Sorry, over, over the course yeah. of about a week and a half. A week and a half. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yep. So a good amount of time. Uh, and I I got really frustrated with it at the beginning uh, because Link is so underpowered and vulnerable. You screw up one thing and you're dead. Uh, and that's not unlike how Breath of the Wild yeah. was, but I forgot just how dramatic it can be at the start. You were a weak little baby have, at the beginning of that game. You have three hearts and no items. And it's it's rough out there. And you could go uh, anywhere and encounter huge enemies really quickly. Right. Yeah. Right. There, there's a gated beginning, much like there is in Breath of the Wild. And then you get to go explore wherever you want. And I I don't want to say that, like, I diverged from the path that the game was giving me. But, like, when I went back a little later, I was like, oh, there's a couple more, like, intro level things that I could have done to, like, power myself up a little more. Uh, but I was getting impatient and I was like, oh, I need to, like, move this along and start getting into some of the bigger dungeons and so forth. And it was just tough. Uh, but then once I kind of slowed down and accepted the limitations that I would only get to see so much of the game before publishing the review, it was a little better. But there are still like, you know, I'm, I'm like I said, 30 something hours into the game. And, uh, you know, there's a, a, a shrine. There's there's dozens of shrines, just like there are in Breath of the Wild, where you can, you know, s- solve some small puzzles, do a few little battles and then get like uh, the little medallion. It gives you a travel point. You can eventually turn those into pieces of heart. So you're less weak. <laughs> I like the, I like um, the shrines, by the way, like people complained yeah. that the that Breath of the Wild didn't have any dungeons. They had just like what the big creatures and everything. But yeah, the shrines yeah. were always like they give me a pang of joy whenever I encounter one somewhere. It's like, oh, something new to do. Yeah. Yeah. And almost all the time, you know, they take like five or ten minutes tops and you get that nice little hit when you figure out the puzzle. Uh, that said, again, ran into some super frustrating ones, including one where they have ones where you go in and it takes away all your weapons oh, and yeah. armor and you can only use the found items around, which can be cool because it's, again, like you're solving this puzzle. But 
you know, this one I went into, there was like eight really powerful robots to battle and I had no shield. There was no shield to find. And I was like, this is just stupid. Like I died like a dozen times mm -hmm. and it just like wasn't fun. And it felt like some that should have been play tested and fixed. Do you think like, uh, you, I think did you encounter them earlier than you should have maybe or? No, because again, it takes away all your items. All right, so yeah. or your hearts. How... You need more hearts. Yeah, I, I had ten. I had ten hearts, mm. but with no armor, no shield, you get hit twice. You're dead. I can't. I cannot <laughs> wait to see uh, Dan Cooper at Engadget just wrote up a piece that he finally gave Breath of the Wild some time, and he was yeah, six years later. Six yeah. years later. Uh, listen, there are people on our site who have not even played the game. Um, but Dan kept running to things like he can't parry well. He can't. He can't do the skill based things, and it yeah. seems like this game may lean more onto that. So that's that's interesting. A little bit. Yeah. So, um, but I'll put aside. That's like my personal, you know, frustration. And I'm curious to see if other people have a similar time with that. Um, somebody mentioned earlier though that uh, you know, there's also no um, no guides out there youtubes yep. or anything i can turn to for help if i get stuck so i was kind of on my own it's the 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 glory of being a game reviewer is that you got no help other than maybe your yeah. friends if you if you know the reviewers yeah. yeah putting aside like those frustrations i would say that it's it's a game that feels you know if if you played breath of the wild you'll immediately feel at home in terms of like the graphical style is the same the controls are the same uh a lot of the like game design is the same in terms of like you can go anywhere you want, but there's kind of four major regions to explore, which lead to the four major dungeons, which are analogous to the, you know, the uh, divine beasts from Breath of the Wild. And there's lots of shrines in between there. Um, but what they added on this time is both the sky and the underworld. Right. And those are totally new I areas. I have not heard about an underworld, so okay. You haven't? No, this is a huge okay. part of it. Okay. So the underworld quest line kind of goes in parallel with the, like, more traditional... Uh, Breath of the Wild style quest line. You have to like go into these, all these chasms have mm -hmm. opened up around Hyrule mm -hmm. and there's a, a new thing called the gloom in these. And so if you get hit by an enemy, not only do you lose a heart, the heart breaks and you can't refill oh, it. Oh no. Uh, until, until you either like, you know, take a potion or, you know, find a waypoint where you can charge back up. Uh, so that's an interesting little, hmm. uh, you know, wrinkle in the gameplay. And the environment also feels completely different. Obviously you're underground. It's a little dark Soulsy almost like a little more punishing than usual for a Zelda. I don't know. There can be moments like that. Some of the, like the really, you, you, you know, again, you run up against some like very large and intense monsters uh, who can do serious damage uh pretty frequently that's cool how, how are you enjoying the new powers this is a game that gives you the ability to like what uh, float up through things um build yes vehicles. the new yeah the new powers are the thing that makes this feel totally distinct and people are gonna have a blast messing around with this if you're the kind of person who loves to like screw around with stuff basically in the in breath of the wild there was a power called magnesis you can move mm -hmm. magnetic objects around in this game you can move almost anything you want and you can stick almost anything you want together. So if there's a board laying around and then there's four wheels near it, you can make yourself a little car, <laughs> okay. uh, which is great. And, you know, you can stick a fan on the back and it'll propel itself around. Mm -hmm. And there's, um, yeah, there's tons of stuff like that. You can, uh, you know, take a, a little flaming, like this object that emits flames, stick it to your shield. And now you've got a flame shield. When you hold it up, flames burst out of it. Or you can... Uh, take like an ice, like an ice lizard's tail and attach it to your sword. And now you've got a sword that can freeze things. Uh, and this is a way to like, uh, like a, a 
equipment that's broken, right? You can kind of rejuvenate it and give it new life well, by doing this, right? Yes, yeah. There's there's the like ability to like fuse objects, and then you can stick stuff to your weapons. And the weapon stuff is is basically a requirement because all the weapons you find around have been decayed by Ganondorf's reemergence, so they're all underpowered. Swole so you're basically Ganon. required. Yeah. Right. You're required to like, so, but you know, when you, monsters drop horns or whatever, you can like stick a horn onto your sword and now it's more powerful. <laughs> horn sword. For example. Horny sword. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's basically required to do this, um, which like got a little old to me because like, I just want to find a good weapon yeah. and use it for yeah. a while and not have to think about these combos. And of course, everything still breaks, which is super annoying. Can you combine like uh, two swords into each other or something? No. Mm. It can be like a sword plus like another item. Um, you can't you can't like stick a sword onto a shield or anything like that. For that example. But the possibilities are pretty wide open. I heard about bombs and, being stuck to shields, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, and it, it it comes into play also with arrows. So like in the previous games, you know, you could get fire arrows. Now there's no fire arrow, but you can take a fire fruit and stick it on your arrow, and you know you're good to go there. So collecting resources is interesting because before. A lot of this, you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to sell these and get some rupees. Yeah. Now you have to decide if you're going to keep them because you need to augment your arsenal versus sell them and get some money to buy mm-hmm. armor. For or example. you could uh, make food with stuff before, you know, in yep. Breath of the Wild. That's all there, too. So yep. that's all yep. that's all there. But I do like the idea of combining things. How was the performance for you, Nate? Like this thing, the Switch yes. is aging hardware. And even yes. Breath of the Wild, like really was kind of sluggish when basically when the Switch launched. It seems they're being even more ambitious in terms of environments and capabilities here. Like, did you notice any slowdown? And did you only play in handheld or did you dock too to like get a little more power? I, I did handheld. I did dock. Um, I would say that it it plays mostly like Breath of the Wild. I'd say I hit a few more frame rate drops than in that game. Uh, so like the underworld, the rendering is like there's like so much going on there, like texturally and stuff in the air and whatnot, that um, it gets a little bit intense if there's a ton of enemies on the screen. Again, like none of it was to the point where I was like, oh, this is a problem. But I was like, they're pushing this thing like yeah. to the absolute this limit. This is old hardware. This is almost a decade old is. hardware in this machine. So, yeah. Right. And like, I think the physics stuff, since now you can, like I said, stick any item to any other item, that's like, there's just like a lot. The physics, the physics engine is doing a lot more this time, I feel like. And that can like get a little hinky too. Um, it's hard to imagine where Nintendo goes with this hardware from here. Oh man. Like, yeah, I don't know how much longer we'll talk a bit about this in news. Like it doesn't seem like new hardware is coming anytime soon. The other weird thing is like this game leaked online. And, um, if you, if you go to the dark corners of the internet, you can find a copy of this game and you can play it in an emulator. And if you have a good GPU, honestly, if you have like a, even a basic PC, like graphics card these days, you can play this game in much better quality than you can on the switch. To me, that is like, I wonder how it works on a steam deck. Well, you can play Breath of the Wild on a Steam Deck. There are videos of that out there, so nothing is stopping you. And the Steam Deck's <laughs> hardware is much, much faster than the Switch's, too. So Nintendo's in a really weird place, right? Where this, like, yeah. prestige game, a $70 game, runs the worst on its own hardware. I don't know. And that's true of, like, a lot of it's, games it's coming odd. out, but it's very odd. Um, I don't blame... Uh, something I've been thinking about, like, mm, if I, I'm going to buy this game, but maybe... Maybe I want to play on my computer too, just to like get that comparison <laughs> going. So, yeah. you know, and I will, mm-hmm. I will say like Nintendo, obviously their art direction is fabulous. They always make beautiful worlds. They get the most out of their hardware, but I can't help but wonder like, what would this game look like if it was like, if it looked more like uh horizon forbidden West, 
which is like a similarly open world kind of exploration. You can go anywhere you see more or less. I'm like, that game is gorgeous. And I understand like maybe Nintendo's never going to do a photorealistic Zelda style, but the environments, the like sun, the sky, the land, all looks just unbelievable in that game. Even on the PS4, it looks amazing, right? So like, I can't help but wonder like, how good would a Zelda with that kind of power look? Mm-hmm. It would look awesome. It would look awesome. I mean, what was the uh, the GameCube Zelda, the one people, Twilight Princess, the one people didn't really like? Uh, yeah. Where they tried yep. to go a little more mature too because people responded badly to Wind Waker. People were very dumb back then. Yep. Um, but yep. then Twilight Princess was kind of dull and boring, but they did try to go for some more of that style. I, I don't know. Nintendo's one of my favorite companies, but the uh, they can do crazy things because they are Nintendo and nobody else can like do these decisions that they are. So they just do what they want to do. do what they want to do. We have to deal with it. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's a bummer. But all that aside, like, yeah, if you liked Breath of the Wild at all, you will like this game. There's a lot to explore. I feel like people will probably just start like getting into it and like spending dozens of hours just making crazy contraptions and there's gonna be some really funny stuff like on the streams with that i bet do you think uh, i'm less of people who have not played breath of the wild nate should they just jump into this like can can um, you just do it is it yeah the story the yeah, story, the story is so yeah. right the story is it is it is a direct sequel but like it it brings in so much new stuff and more or less kind of ignores what happened in the previous game to a degree that like, yeah, like if you're not super concerned that you could easily just jump right in. Um, but I think Breath of the Wild is still so very good that it's worth playing. Um, the last thing I'm going to say about like building the contraptions and whatnot is like, I think some people are gonna have a ton of fun doing that. The good news is that if you don't care about that as much, like I'm not the kind of person who's going to like screw around with that forever. Um it guides you well. Like they'll be like, okay, here's a place where you need to make a certain thing. The pieces for it are around are not hard to find. You can do it and move on with your life. Uh, so like, you're not required to like, Oh, dream up this like crazy new way to like get across the river for the most part. Uh, it'll, it'll nudge you in the right direction. But so. it seems like it will also reward you if you experiment a little bit too, just from what I've seen. From yeah, these that's videos. fair. So I'm looking yep. forward to that. This is the thing. Like I move, I moved from New York, uh, three years ago, never plugged my switch dock back in because oh, wow. handheld is the way really and when you're dealing with kids like i never really have time to like sit down and play a game unless it's on my computer um i think i'm ready to plug that dock back in to get some serious yeah i would time. do that and like use the pro controller because yeah, yeah. it's just much nicer than doing the joy cons for sure i did I, I see your picture with the joy con separated and i did have to wonder like no one's gonna play Zelda like that. No one's gonna play. No, Zelda this is this is just so the picture is an homage to the first the picture Aaron yeah. Aaron took on our first review. Uh, so I wanted to like get that. In it's there. funny because back then we were like, oh man, you could separate like the, the controllers, you could do all this stuff with it, and now we're just so jaded. It's like just just don't. Nobody nobody will do that. Get, 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 just let me play. Just let, just me, let play me play the game. Okay. Thank you so much, Nate. Let's move on to some other news. And actually related to this, um, Nintendo's earnings were this week, and there was an interesting pull out of that. Um, Nintendo executives basically confirmed that they're not expecting to release any new hardware until April of next year. So that means no Switch Pro, no Switch successor. They said, they said that specifically, huh? April of next it year. Was, well, so they said within this that. current period. So I'm looking at Polygon's coverage and Nintendo President Shintaro Furukawa um, said uh, it has not factored new hardware into its entire into its current forecast, which stretches out to March thirty first, twenty twenty four. 
So they're fiscal year, basically. They're fiscal right. year. They're, say, they're saying no no hardware in this period. Indeed. Yeah, that that is sense. a very roundabout way of saying no hardware, which, okay, maybe sad if you wanted a Switch Pro later this year. I bought the Switch OLED late last year because I'm an idiot and I love Nintendo, so... I, I just bought it for Zelda. You know, I want to see the good. Yeah, Zelda. And it's going to be a great. It's going to be a great Zelda machine. It's going to, and th- there are like special versions of that too, right? Later Zelda bundle yeah. and everything. Yeah, um, I wish that I yeah could justify that. <laughs> I feel like for the people who want to celebrate the you know a new Zelda and everything, that, that Switch OLED looks really tight. Like it looks really good. That screen is amazing. So I, I would not blame you for hopping over to that thing. Um, I can't. I can't wait for Zelda. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh man. One day. But yeah, the um the the switch thing. I mean, I feel like the Switch Pro is one of those like rumors that just like it's too took late. on a life of its own. It's, well, yeah. it took on a life of its own without it ever actually being substantiated in any serious way. I, enough people reported it, Nate, where I'm like, everything was weird over the past couple of years. I'm sure that product That's probably true. existed, and then they were like, "Well, you need new chips for this," and then the supplier is like, "That's a really good point. Those chips don't exist." We do have OLED panels, you know, it, it seemed like maybe a negotiation at some point. Like I could have easily seen going almost a decade with the same hardware and hardware, which at launch was already slow. Very, yeah. Um, I don't think Nintendo intended for that to happen, but it's the sheer power of their game design and, you know, their, their market force that they can make keep people keep buying these things. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I forgot about COVID and like, it's entirely possible that there was major effects there in terms of what they played. Basically they forecasted that they're only going to be selling 15 million switches over the next year. And like, they're like, you know, um, because of all these things, because the switch has been out for a while, like we don't expect to see that much. It was just kind of a warning to investors. Um, I think the switch pro itself is an idea. Does, doesn't make sense anymore, but we'll probably see a, a switch successor actually you switch know to switch to maybe not maybe maybe, maybe yeah tease it next year release in 2025 call it the super switch because it's right there yes. the name is right <laughs> there for you um i i also think they have to keep up with the sort of like hybrid portable design but that's true they are going to get a little bit of a push from from all that stuff coming out now. it could be that when when the switch initially launched people were saying like oh yeah the when you dock it you actually get more power which is true you get consistent power and like um the resolution i believe and the frame rate is a little more consistent so you get a little jolt it's not hard to imagine a future switch that is really good portably and you plug into that dock and it just like sucks in a little more power through through yeah. something else like that is yeah they could make the possible. dock more make the dock more than just a piece of plastic that connects to a tv exactly like give it some horsepower give there. it some horsepower um could totally see it being like a legit thing but also given the rise of like gaming portable you know pc portable gaming things right now like they could certainly do a lot with the handheld itself it's gonna be an exciting time folks i mean you know let us know what do you want to see in the next switch podcastinggadget.com also in other news roku's launch rate roku Unveiled a $99 smart home monitoring system. This one just came out of nowhere because Roku, <laughs> Roku's a set-top box company. They started making speakers. Earlier this year, they announced they're going to be making their own TVs. So that's a big move. And now smart home monitoring. Okay, I guess. What do you, what do you think, Nate? <laughs> it's just like, I think I can see the progression of them becoming a like smart device company beyond, uh, you know, just just like the the traditional Roku stuff. Yeah, but yeah. like, I'm not sure who's asking for this. <laughs> this is co-developed with Wise. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where so it's they're like, a legit company. Wise is pretty legit. Um, were they the ones that were hacked? 
I forget somebody was like hacked really <laughs> badly lately too. So, hey, go 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 look into that. But they were all. Hacked. Do you use any sort of like uh, you live in the city, Nate? Like, do you use any sort of like monitoring or home alarm systems? Not. Really, I do not. Nope. That's surprising. Um, so as soon as I moved to Georgia, um, what I noticed is. I don't have a t- I don't have like an apartment now. I have like a house and there's stuff like I don't know what's going on in the backyard. I don't know what's going on in all these doors. All these I started visualizing like all the entry points and everything. So I have, you know, door sensors. I have a couple of things. Um I'm paying for alarm service, but we never actually turn it on. Um mm-hmm. I guess something at this price, if you just want alerts of like when things are happening, when windows are open, when doors are open, it seems kind of useful. So interesting move for Roku. Um Yeah. And kind of related to all the AI stuff, there is a great story at restofworld.org, which is a really interesting site. Like they've been doing uh, tech stories from around the world. Um, They have a story about India's religious AI chatbots are speaking in the voice of God and basically condoning violence. And this is just another thing I want to bring up to highlight like the the potential dangers of like AI chatbots. Um, they're claiming wisdom based on the Bhagavad Gita, which is you know very, very famous religious text. Uh, they frequently go way off script. And to me, this seems really dangerous, especially in India. Hindu fundamentalism is like a thing that is there. The current um, political party is basically that is the mentality there. And that's led to a lot of violence against, um, against, uh, Islamic folks and basically anybody else. I believe Christians in India too are, are facing persecution because of this. So, not a great thing. I just want to point this out there because when we say, hey, we don't know what's going to happen with uh, with AI, it's not just like, I'm afraid they're going to take our jobs and they likely will. I'm not, I'm not afraid it's going to become like a super sentient being that will destroy us all. I'm afraid that people will talk to these things and be like, oh, you're you're a bot that sounds, you know, good and you're speaking the voice of God and therefore I can listen to you. There's one example they uh they list uh, the user asks is killing justified when protecting dharma and the answer from the bot is as a christian i believe in upholding the principles of dharma which includes protesti- protecting the innocent and ensuring justice however the act of killing should only be always be the last resort and only used in extreme circumstances so kind of a warning but also being like it's not a no it's not a no <laughs> it's like well when push comes to shove this ai bot says kill um Kind of terrifying. Check out the story at Rest of World. And honestly, check out that place in general. I re- I'm really digging their stories. Um, yeah, I was going to say that, like, I don't have a lot to add to this particular story, but uh, they're pretty new, right? I think in the last year or so. And they are doing a lot of really interesting uh, reporting for sure. I dig it. Really worth a read. I dig yeah. it. Like, almost every one of their stories are interesting. So, yeah. Let's move on to story. Like, I just mm-hmm. went to the homepage and there's a story called The Capybara Influencer Revolt. And, like, yep, that made me want to click on that. Click on I that. that. Um, yeah, my daughter is obsessed with capybaras. I and I, I own a capybara shirt now because of that. But also... They're having a moment. They're having a moment on TikTok because they're cool, they're chill, and we all want to just be capybara. We want to be a chill capybara. Um... Let's talk about some stories around Engadget. Actually, just one I want to bring up. Um, Carissa Bell wrote about um, Blue Sky having a moment. Blue Sky is the Twitter alternative backed by Jack Dorsey, but not he doesn't lead it. Um, it's a decentralized social network that is still very small. Uh, people are getting invited now. Um, I just got an invite last week, actually, and I spent some time there. But it does seem like a lot of people who were big on Twitter, including Drill, um, are there. And it seems like a lot of the weirdos and really interesting folks, um, the people I enjoy following on Twitter, a lot of them are popping up there. A lot of media folks are there. 
And as um, I feel like every one of these services is just like a different party, right? What, what party do you want to go to? Do you want to go to the Mastodon party? I think Blue Sky sounds like the good party. And I'll just say it also sounds a little bit like the capybara of social media right now, oh, which makes a little bit. It's it's a little weird. Um, Probably the capybara. Capybaras are a little weird. A little, weird, <laughs> a little chill. The alligators don't uh, don't attack them because everybody loves capybaras. Uh, if you've been on TikTok long enough, you probably know the song because it's everywhere. Um. But the thing is, like, when I go to Mastodon, I'm in, like, the computer lab. I'm surrounded by the tech dorks and the people who believe Mm -hmm. in open source and who will, like, flame you to hell if you post an image without alt text. So (laughs) it's very, it's very, very, like, a thing. It's a very specific type of thing. Blue Sky, meanwhile, I'm looking at the trending tab and, like, all I see are butts. All like basically on the most popular tab is just like people posting their butts and I'm like oh, wow things are just uh, something things are just popping off on Blue Sky. Also, there's a bit of a there's a bit of an intrigue there too because you have to. It's really hard to get a uh, an invite and you know thanks to one of my friends who was able to like pass one along. You also don't get invites immediately. It takes like time i think you have to be on for several weeks and active for to actually get invites to pass out so that exclusivity is probably giving it a bit of a sheen but ultimately it's it's just twitter it is basically just twitter again the same interface um no ads it's a little cleaner um that's but that's kind of what we all want right like i'm like twitter without ads without the nazis like like, yeah twitter back in. in time um there is content moderation but we there's a lot of stuff we don't know uh, there was that controversy about like the you basically giving up your content to Blue Sky, and I believe one of the people in charge was like, "Hey guys, we we just we picked like a basically out of the box out of the box EULA, and they're gonna like refine that." So, um, you know, it doesn't sound like they're trying to steal all your content. Um, I'm interested in Blue Sky. I'm certainly spending more time there. I'm basically hopping between Blue Sky, Twitter, and Mastodon these days, and. Every that time, sounds like a lot of work, it's, you know, and when I have a little downtime, instead of like spending all my time on Twitter, I'm just like uh, checking out what's over here, popping in over there. Um, this is I maintain my comments. <laughs> it's it's a lot of work, but I got we got to see where the Internet is moving. Um, let's move on to what we're working on. And Nate, um, yeah, anything you want to bring up in, in terms of like work or things you want to shout out? No, I mean, like, honestly, uh, the Zelda thing has sucked up my life that and IO for the last two weeks getting ready for IO. Uh, so please read my Zelda review if you're interested is what I would say. That is my my big thing for the moment. Are you going to be taking a break from Zelda or are you just going to keep going? I would like to keep going with it. I think you get some momentum. You kind of like, I don't like to forget yeah. what I was doing in a game that's big. So I want to try and keep it going for a bit. I don't know if I'm going to like make a hard push to finish it anytime soon, but I want to like keep chipping keep away. Keep that momentum like, going. Like my, my thing with games is like, I, I, it's basically like, uh, sometimes it's like a buffet. It's like, I take a little, little bit of this. I'm going to play a little bit, a couple hours of this. Then I don't have time to go back to that game for months. And when I go back to this, like, yeah. I don't know how anything works here. No, I hate yeah. and I hate it when that happens because I'm like, I might as well just start over at that point if I don't remember what I was doing or like where I was going. And yeah, yeah, totally, totally. OK, well, I am going to be working on a review of the Blackberry movie, which I hear is very good. Um, I'm going to be watching that seen soon. It yeah, I, I hear I hear very good things. I'm also working on a piece about EVs. I've been talking about this for a while. I got to talk with a good uh, journalist slash researcher around the dangers of big cars and uh maybe alternatives big to big evs get big cars are bad oh i would like to read this very much cars. Go I l- look big, up it's, i hate big cars go look up david zipper because he's written a lot at okay. the atlantic and elsewhere and i talked with him a little bit couldn't get a good recording because he was actually like on his bike as he was talking to me so i appreciate <laughs> that chat that interview uh but it's not like podcast worthy um 
basically this all comes off from me spending time with the Rivian R1S, which is a beautiful SUV, but it's so big. And I'm like, 800 horsepower in a vehicle this big? What? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that's who needs this. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And also that's what we're selling now. And I, I, f- I feel a lot of conflicted feelings about this. So I'm that's working obscene. on a piece about that. Um, yeah. Any pop cultural picks from you this week, Nate? Yeah, well, I was say I mentioned uh, Horizon Forbidden mm-hmm. West earlier. Uh, obviously, the game has been out for a year now, but the Burning Shores expansion dropped a few weeks ago. Uh, I am really digging it. I like having a reason to dive back okay. into that world. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful game. It just looks so awesome. <laughs> can, can I? Uh, you're gonna hate this, Nate. I played yeah. 30 minutes of the New Horizon, not the DLC, but the last of the game, and tap tapped out. Did you finish Zero Dawn? What? I don't know what it is about this game. Like, I don't know if it's the combat or the way the storytelling works or something. Like, it really disengages me from it. So I got to give this thing another Man. chance at some point. But I mean, I think that Zero Dawn is one of the best sci-fi stories. I've, I've read about what I've, happens, yeah. That I've come across. And I think the reveals and the way it built. I see. I just thought, like, storytelling-wise, like, I can... I think it's hard to tell a good story in an open world game. I think they did a great job. If you follow like the main quest and the way they unfold stuff, like just great. And then I think the the way that they just develop the different cultures and the different worlds around there, like I don't know. I just love everything about it. It's 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 a top ten game of mine from the last. Decade, I know. Even. I remember you loving it, and um, you know, I also think you just you you are the big budget games from Sony are catnip for you, Nate. So. They you are. know, yep. that, this is how it goes. I wish it was smoother. I wish like the combat was better. I wish the storytelling was a little more rich for me. But you know what? Maybe I'll give it another chance at some point. Um, I want to bring up something that I'm watching. It is called Bupkiss. It's the new Pete Davidson sitcom. Sort of uh, kind of like a dramedy, too. I've seen commercials for that. So I'm interested in hearing what you think, because it seems so weird. It's to weird. Me. It's on Peacock. It is yet another Pete Davidson project about Pete Davidson's life which follows you know, the King of Staten Island, which was the Judd Apatow movie. I thought that movie was fine. Um, but this is directly relating to Pete Davidson as who he is right now, as a famous comedian man who lives, uh, you know, in his mother's basement in Staten Island. And it's very funny, even though the mystery of Pete Davidson still kind of eludes me. Like, I think he's perfectly fine on SNL. I'm not part of the Pete Davidson fan club, but the show is really good, mainly because of the people around him. Edie Falco plays his mother. Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci, coming out of retirement, basically, plays his grandfather. And there's just like a great series of like guest stars and people who pop up too. Brad Garrett is a major character. Um, that's the brother from Everybody Loves Raymond. And Ray Romano actually appears too. So I don't I don't know how they balance that out. But freaking Al Gore is in the show at one point. John Stewart is here. Uh, Bobby Cannavale plays his uncle. Just like an amazing cast of people around him. It's really funny. It's really raunchy, too. Like, there's some really funny stuff. Don't watch this one with your folks. You know, sometimes I recommend shows, and I'm like, I got to give you the warning. Um, At least this first episode, maybe don't watch it with your parents. Um, But it's funny. It's heartfelt. And it presents situations which I have never seen before in some comedies. Um, So to me, that if you're doing something different, to me, that's pretty notable. So that's Bup Kiss on Peacock. And it's worth checking out. I like the idea. I'm only I'm just slightly burnt out on shows where famous people play slightly weird, different versions of themselves. This is not different at all. This is Pete Davidson playing Pete Davidson, basically. But he doesn't literally live with he his does. mother. And does he, he does. Oh. The whole story about, why do I know? Th- why do I know this? 
but the story is um like he was living there you know before he joined snl and then once he started making money he just renovated his mom's basement so he lives in that renovated apartment in his mom's basement and okay well that makes it a little it's, it's, it's still my, it, it's, it's still his yeah, mom's well, basement the man is a mystery you know also everybody throwing themselves at him yeah there, there's a lot there there's a lot of mystery on pete, around pete davidson check out bubkiss i think it is genuinely funny Thanks, folks. That's it for this week. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find me online at, at Devendra on Twitter, um, at Devendra at Mastodon.social, and I don't know what the hell my Blue Sky thing is. Uh, if you just type Devendra, it's, my username is at Devendra on Blue Sky, so if you're there, you can find me there. Um, where can we find you, Nate? Uh, I'm still tweeting, albeit infrequently, at Nate Ingram. And I have yet to really get Blue Sky and Mastodon going, but I really should check out Mastodon until I get the Blue Sky invite. You should play with Mastodon. I do think the federated whole idea of decentralizing social networks is probably the way we're going to move forward. And we're certainly going to talk more about that, folks. Email us at podcastingadget.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts. Thanks, folks. We're out. <laughs> the main takeaway is that Devendra is intrigued. <laughs> <laughs>